Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff, are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddie? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is The Crossover, an NBA show hosted by Sports Illustrated's Chris Mannix and Howard Beck. It's a whole new level for you and me, Chris, this relationship. Like and subscribe for the best weekly NBA content these two are capable of. What does that mean? Could be the best duo ever. I don't see how you can beat that. Here they are, Chris Mannix and Howard Beck. All right, welcome back. Crossover NBA podcast, Chris Mannix and Howard Beck. Howard, it is Monday, December 27th in the afternoon while we are recording this. Do you know who is playing for your favorite team tonight? (laughs) I have no favorites, of course. They're all 30 equally unfavorites, and I have no idea who's playing for any of them. I was happy to see Giannis come back in time for Christmas. That was a nice Christmas gift for fans and for the NBA. But beyond that, my gosh, uh, Christmas, I think the last two weeks have been kind of a disaster, frankly, all the way around uh, for the NBA because of that, because we don't know who's playing night tonight. And I'm not blaming the NBA. Like, it's not the NBA's fault that COVID has ravaged the world and that Omicron is is uh, spreading like wildfire. But Competitively speaking, I want to just throw out these last two weeks and maybe the next couple of weeks too, because I don't feel like any of this feels valid right now. I would agree. Um, I'm scheduled to work the Celtics Timberwolves game for NBC Sports in Boston tonight. Uh, Jason Tatum is now in the COVID protocols, joining a smattering of other Celtics. Uh, I saw the Timberwolves have like half their starters in protocols, Carl Towns, Anthony Edwards, D'Angelo Russell. I mean, it's, it's wild right now. Um, I don't know what the NBA should do. And and that's kind of, I want to begin there with you because you have devoted the last two episodes of your Friday podcast to speaking with doctors, with epidemiologists about, you know, the current state of the pandemic and how sports leagues, specifically the NBA Uh, should handle it. I encourage people to listen to those podcasts in full. They're on this feed that you can check out right now. But kind of from those two conversations, Howard, like what were your big takeaways as far as what the doctors think about the NBA's strategy and what they think it should be moving forward? On the whole, I think there's agreement that a pause from a health and safety standpoint wasn't really justified or productive, right? Like as I just said, you know, look, I think we should throw out all these results and it's been a disaster, but I'm talking strictly from a competitive standpoint, Chris, like just the the quality of play and the legitimacy of the games that we've seen, I think is in question. But what the doctors, what the epidemiologists, what the experts have said, and I think it's been fairly consistent is pausing doesn't get you anywhere with regard to the epidemic itself. If you pause for two weeks, if you paused for a month, you're going to come back and restart these games 
under the probably same conditions as when you started the pause. So you're not protecting, you may be protecting your players and some other people in the NBA community, and that's not to be minimized. But, you know, because we are in a, a stage of this pandemic where everyone's vaccinated, almost everyone in the NBA community is vaccinated, 97% of players and pretty much 100% of everybody else, you're not necessarily pausing to save people from COVID and from the worst versions of this illness. The only thing you're doing is preserving some competitive integrity, I think. And I, I, I'm not dismissing that. Like, I, I think in some regard, the NBA would be better off, but they can't do it, right? They just can't do it because now you're talking about shutting down arenas and uh, putting people out of work for a while, arena workers and others who work game nights. Uh, you are throwing out all these games or trying to reschedule them at a time when arenas are now rebooked again. So there's no room to really reschedule all these games if you did it. So now you're sacrificing how many hundreds of millions in revenue potentially. It's it's very difficult to do. I think from a, prag- a practical standpoint, Adam Silver is doing the only thing he can do, which is just muddle through it, hope for the best, and keep calling up G-Leaguers. Um, I joked recently that like the G-League showcase, by the time I left there, I was there for the last couple of days, was the H-League. Like there were no G-Leaguers left. <laughs> they were all already in the NBA. Props to the NBA for having a G-League to poach. Uh, if they had not ever created this and, and created this uh, extent of a G-League, my God, where would they be? Not to mention where would they be without Lance Stevenson and Joe Johnson and all, you know, Isaiah Thomas and all the other guys who were basically out of the league that that they've picked up. But I mean, it's fine. Like we could all sit there and say like, oh, it's great to see Joe Johnson back and that's fun and all this. But like, it's not actually good for the game. <laughs> like there's a reason he was out of the league. So uh, yeah, pausing doesn't do anything. It doesn't help on, from a COVID standpoint. It might've helped from a competitive uh, integrity standpoint. But other than that, I think people, the experts agree that the NBA has done a pretty good job. I think, you know, the one thing that Zach Binney and I spoke about last week, where we agree on this, that um, if the NBA is truly concerned with the pandemic itself and its effects on society beyond the NBA, they should be reducing capacity. They should be shutting down concession stands. They should be having a firm, firm requirement of masking of fans in arenas you know, you can't do all these other things, keep throwing guys into protocols and all this other stuff and then say, oh, fans, yeah, you can sit there in the stands side by side, packed t- packed tightly with no masks on and we have no idea if you're vaccinated or not. And there are, I should note, there's some arenas that have vaccine mandates for fans, but the vast majority, I believe, do not and are not, uh, are, are not enforcing mask regulations either. So, That's not good. I would give the NBA low, low marks on their attempts this season to protect the public at large coming to their games. Yeah, I would agree. Um, The only way to really enforce a mask mandate is, as you said, to eliminate concessions, which would in turn cost the teams, the arenas, millions of dollars. Like that's not underselling. It's a huge pot of money that teams would lose out on if they shut down the concession stands. I do think that the, the middle ground is to implement vaccine masks. It doesn't solve the problem. You know, you should probably still mask up when you're at these games, especially if you're in close proximity to other people. But yeah, I, I feel like that's the only kind of solution. I am finding it amusing, Howard, to spin it back to the rosters. Like now we're getting kind of veterans on social media, like saying, pick me, pick me. I saw... You know, Jamal Crawford has been out there. Kind of surprising Jamal Crawford hasn't gotten a call. I'm uh, stunned he point. hasn't gotten the call. Yeah, it, it really is surprising. Uh, J.R. Smith taking a break from his golf career and his college <laughs> career in North Carolina yeah. to uh, say he's ready to play. I saw Michael Beasley on Twitter asking for one more shot from the Lakers. So, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm wondering who's next. To, you know, I asked Brian Scalabrini if he was ready to give like 10 minutes to Tom Thibodeau and the uh, and the Knicks. He, he passed on that uh, pseudo opportunity. So, you know, it's it's just going to be like this for a while. I, I don't think it's a matter of days. It's probably weeks and, in, and deep into next month before these rosters ultimately get back to looking somewhat normal. Um, yes, I agree. And, I, you know, look, the sooner it happens, the better. But it's not under the NBA's control. Although I will say, and you and I were talking offline a little bit about this, about the idea that, you know, look, the further it goes, the more people get it. If you're getting, you get antibodies. Uh, look, I, I don't know where this all goes, but we are now up to, are we past 100 players yet? I think we're probably oh, pretty well close. Past, yeah. Well past yeah, 100. Well past that. If a quarter of the league 
has already gotten it, you know, obviously mostly breakthrough cases. So they're probably all very mild cases because they all got vaccinated as they should. Folks, if you haven't, go get vaccinated, go get boosted if you haven't. But they're getting mild cases. They're out. You know, the frustration that guys are expressing sometimes on social media is about like Trey Young did it too. Like it's kind of like this. What am I doing? Why am I in protocols? I'm, I'm tested positive, but I think the implication for a lot of these guys when they're saying, speaking out on social media and questioning all this is I, I'm asymptomatic or I've got very low symptoms. And that's one of the other things I talked about. And again, I hope people go listen to my episodes with Zach Beanie and with Robbie Sicka about all of these decisions the NBA has to make. But reducing the number of days that you're in, in quarantine essentially makes sense given vac- that vaccinated people shed less of the virus. You get less sick, you shed less of the virus, you are less of a danger to others around you. So you can come back sooner. But some combination of the fact that 97% of players are vaccinated that the rest of everybody else in the NBA community is vaccinated, that vaccinated people shed less of the virus. There is a case to be made that some combination of shortening the window that you're out and Omicron having spread through a a massive amount of the league and thus giving more people antibodies or people who they've already been sick, they're not going to get sick again too soon. You can always get sick again, by the way. Like the people who are like the, oh, we should all just get antibodies. Antibodies do not make you immune for the, the rest of time. It doesn't work that way. But I do think we're going to come to a point, Chris, where this is going to make its way around far enough that maybe the whole league is now just immune and we don't have to worry about this. Maybe by the end of January, uh, we'll be at a place where we're not seeing G-leaguers, H-leaguers and, you know, Z-leaguers called up and we'll have a legitimate uh, competitive field. And before we leave, yeah. Can I just throw one more thing? I know we've got a few items we want to get to today on the agenda, including Lakers, Jazz and Knicks. But let me just say this real quick, too, as long as I'm uh, uh, being semi-agitated about league things. Um, can we just stop it with the freaking midseason tournament, Adam Silver? Another report from ESPN over the weekend. Nobody wants the midseason tournament except for Adam Silver. This is his white whale. This has been from the moment he became commissioner seven, eight years ago, whatever it's been now. This is He's obsessed with this. He wants this. European soccer style midseason tournament. He's the only person who passionately wants it. Maybe there are a few owners who who like it, a few others who are at least open to it. The players basically are saying bribe us into it because there's no way that they're going to do it otherwise. The fans don't give a crap about it. You and I don't give a crap about it. Nobody really wants to see this. Why is this having so much time expended? And it's like clockwork, Chris. Every two to three years, we don't hear about it for a while. And then there's there's new momentum gaining traction for a midseason tournament. Here we go again. Like nobody wants this. Like just like can we move on? I'm I'm tired of, of even having to consider the possibility of a dumb midseason tournament that will award some team a cup that no one cares about. Okay, I, I, <laughs> I don't particularly care for it. I I do understand what Silver and the NBA are trying to do. Right? Like nobody. I mean, the NBA. If you want to you know, categorize how, which months people pay the most attention. December has got to be one of the low months. You know, yes. December is football season, NFL playoffs coming up until around. Christmas football. Right. So I understand like trying to add a layer of intrigue to December games makes some sense. And I do think that if they really are going to offer a million dollars a player for the winning team, that's not nothing, especially for a lot of these guys. Now, maybe that's a drop in the bucket for LeBron James or the upper-tier NBA players, but there are a lot of players in this league, Howard, you know this, that don't make anywhere close to to the kind of money that would make a million dollars inconsequential. So yes. I think there's a pretty good chance if they're able to sweeten the pot with that kind of offer and, as was reported by ESPN over the weekend, that they reduced the number of overall games to 78, um, I think there's a good chance this happens, whether it's sure. next year or the year after. So we'll see. I'm not especially motivated by it, but I think there's a chance yeah, it happens. Yeah, I mean, there's a chance it happens. There's not much of a chance that anybody will re- really actually say, yay, it's happening. No, <laughs> like, no it's... chance. Nobody gets excited. No, that's, <laughs> no. that is what it is. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. 
At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Attention all wrestling aficionados. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. This is Freddie Prince Jr., and I am beyond thrilled to announce that our wrestling extravaganza is back. And joining me once again is the one and only Jeff Dye. Get ready as we highlight the most jaw-dropping matches, dissect the fiercest feuds, and uncover the latest twists and turns in the world of pro wrestling. We're dusting off our legendary side quests and unleashing a barrage of brand new segments that will keep you guys on the edge of your seat like our talks on unsanctioned Thursdays. Freddie, you know we gotta give the people what they want. This season, we have an all-star lineup of special guests who are gonna be gracing our podcast, bringing with them their own unique insights, experiences, and all of that in the world of pro wrestling and beyond. Whether you're a seasoned wrestling veteran or a fresh-faced newcomer, we promise an experience like no other. So buckle up, wrestling fans. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty, Sports Scandals, Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, let's talk about some basketball things here. Um, Before the start of the season, we all said... We're going to give the Lakers until around Christmas before we make any kind of conclusions or draw any kind of conclusions on what kind of team they are. Now, it's been a weird season so far. COVID has impacted the Lakers in a couple of different ways. Injuries have impacted the Lakers specifically, most recently to Anthony Davis. But here we are past Christmas, Howard, and the Lakers are 16 and 18. They are in every possible way, A mediocre team. They still have, arguably, the best player on the planet, but they have a roster of kind of misfit toys. Uh, They don't defend anyone at a high level except occasionally in spurts. And and frankly, and this is kind of the point of this topic, I don't know how to fix them. Like, I don't know what move is out there that makes the Lakers markedly better. So I'll put that to you first. Like, your state of the Lakers right now, and is there anything out there that you see that could push this team to another level? Well, let's say this first, because you and I, and I think a lot of people gave them benefit of the doubt. We have constantly given them benefit of the doubt because any team with LeBron James deserves that. And if you have LeBron James and Anthony Davis and they won the championship just 14, 15 months ago, it's fair to say, hey, let, let's wait until they're healthy. Let's wait until they're, they've got the full rotation for X number of games, whatever. And it has been choppy and Anthony Davis is out now, all of that. But Chris, 34 uh 33 games, 34 games, we're at like 41% of the season is gone. It's no longer early. This is no longer prematurely judging them and, oh, just give them some time. Granted, there's still half the season, you know, a little more than half the season left, but I think this is who they are. For better or worse, this is who the Lakers are. And and no, I, I don't see a way out of this. There is no midseason trade that I think is going to fix this team. Um, the best thing you could possibly do to me is trade Russell Westbrook, but that's a near impossibility. And I know he's been traded a couple times on this same awful contract, but those were teams that were basically doing salary dumps. The Lakers are not a team trying to dump salary. They're a team trying to improve itself while getting rid of an under underachieving player late in his career making $44 million now with a $47 million player option for next season. You can't get out from under that and gain talent. You can only incentivize some other team to take him off your hands, especially when those teams all know you're desperate to get rid of him. So I don't think we should even spend much more than the last 90 seconds I spent 
talking about trading Russell Westbrook because I don't think there's any chance in the world it's happening. Um, plus, obviously, it would look horrendous for both LeBron, who reportedly pushed for it, and for Rob Palenka to dump your signature acquisition from the offseason uh, just a few months later. So, Because, too, Howard, like to move off of Russell Westbrook, you're probably going to have to include a draft pick or multiple second-round picks, a first-round pick or multiple seconds. The Lakers just gave up real capital to go and get him like four yes. months ago. Like yes. the idea of attaching another draft pick to move up Russell Westbrook would that would be a catastrophic failure of 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 leadership within that team if that's what you had to do. Catastrophic and humiliating. Um now, humiliation should have nothing to do with the equation. If you could somehow do it, then I would do it. But you still but I don't, Howard, like, I, you have I don't to gain. Know. You have to gain yeah. talent. And you I, can't I don't know. I, I'm with you though. I don't know who would even consider it. Like, I've seen some of that John Wall for Russell Westbrook swap stuff out there again. Why would the Rockets do that? Like, the Rockets have basically (laughs) shelved John Wall because they don't want a high-usage player alongside Jalen Green and Kevin Porter Jr. and some of the young players there. Well, are they suddenly going to want to re-add a high-usage rate player in Russell Westbrook? I've heard some talk about the Knicks. I just don't think they're that crazy anymore. Uh, I don't see it. And Russell Westbrook well, certainly, he certainly doesn't improve their defense, which is no. problem number one right now in New York. You know, the only possibility, and it's probably not a possibility, the only thing that kind of intrigued me, would Oklahoma City take Russell Westbrook back? If you attached a draft pick to Russell Westbrook and Oklahoma City could move out like its trade exceptions and some of the other stuff it has on the roster, they didn't have to give up any of its young talent. Like maybe it's dark favors. I don't. I don't know. Like would would Oklahoma City take him back? Like I don't think so. But like nah. that might be the one place that you could move him where it isn't a complete debacle. That's that's the only thing that, that popped into my mind as I started kind of yeah. working through trade scenarios with Russell Westbrook. This is going to sound unnecessarily catty, uh, mean spirited, but like, well, it would help them tank further probably, and they like to tank. I'm not right sure now. it would though. See, like that's Russ's <laughs> thing, right? Like if you. Like I, the biggest thing is that wouldn't help Shea Gilgis Alexander. He's taking like, reps from Shea Gilgis Alexander. Yeah, you don't want yeah. that, and you want Shea and Lou Dort out there as often as possible together, Absolutely. developing chemistry for the next couple of years. That's the if like if yes. Shea wasn't there, I would say probably they'd probably yeah. do that. Like Sam Presti will but, take on anybody if he can get a first round draft right. pick back in return. It's also not helping the Lakers, right? Like uh, other no, like just no. offloading Russ isn't the idea. Russ isn't the sole problem. It's what he represents. It's forty four million of problematic space and you need different better fitting players instead of him like say i don't know all the guys that you traded to get him um or buddy healed like but you're not like anything that any equation in which westbrook goes out is not bringing back the pieces they need so let's go through this real quick on what they do and don't don't have right you're not trading lebron you're not trading ad you can't trade russ all givens i think Here's some guys who have little to no trade value. They have value as players, as rotation guys, but they're not getting you something better in return. Ariza, Avery Bradley, Wayne Ellington, DeAndre Jordan, Kent Bazemore. Good guys, good players, decent for roles, but they're not bringing you something back. Three guys who I think have value to the right team. Somebody might give up something of value for Carmelo Anthony, this 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 three-point sniper version of Carmelo who also post up occasionally and give you some throwback games. Rajon Rondo, Dwight Howard, those three guys are all, you know, seasoned vets, decorated vets who in the right place, which the Lakers, of course, feel they're the right place, may have some value. I'm not saying you should trade them. I'm just saying for purposes of discussion on an NBA trade market, are there teams that would want what Rondo or Dwight or Carmelo could bring to them even at this stage of their careers? Maybe. The most value... Of course, Taylor Horton Tucker, Mr. Untouchable, who they wouldn't trade to get Kyle Lowry or anybody else last season. Maybe Kendrick Nunn, maybe Malik Monk. I, I don't know about Austin Reeves, but you know, you know, Laker fans like him probably more than other teams do. I, there's just not a lot there. Then we go to picks. Their 2022 pick is going to either Memphis or New Orleans. Their 2023 pick, uh, New Orleans owns swap rights too. Now you can still trade, but it just means you end up having to deal with the swap part of that. So it, that complicates matters. The 2024 pick New Orleans owns. So according to Bobby Marks's recent uh, rundown of all this, 
Uh, the Lakers can't trade outright one of their picks uh, first until 2027 or 2028. Um, so all this stuff about Ben Simmons, Jeremy Grant, they can't get these guys, Chris. There's just no chance in the world. They don't, they, they traded, and this is again, Laker fans didn't like it when I said it at the time. When they obtained Anthony Davis, they won the trade and lost the negotiation. They won the trade because they got Anthony Davis. They lost the negotiation because they gave up absolutely everything. And when people said, well, it's all justified if you win a championship, and they did, that's fine. And that's a point of view that is justifiable. But I will come back and say the problem with that point of view is you hamstring yourself for years in the future when you need to make other moves. And that's what they did. They gave up too much in the Anthony Davis trade when they had all the leverage in the world. He only wanted to go to one place. And the Pelicans extracted every bit of value that they possibly could. And that left you with that many fewer pieces to make later deals. And that's where they are now. They're stuck. They are stuck. Um, And if I'm a Lakers fan, one of the things I'm most upset about is that this roster was thinned out in part over money. You know, the Lakers could have gone out and re-signed Alex Caruso. Absolutely. They didn't. And that was a money decision. That the Los Angeles Lakers, a multi-billion dollar franchise with, even during a pandemic, a license to print money, would not spend the requisite money to bring in a versatile two-way player like Alex Caruso, bring back a player like that, is remarkable. And yeah, I go back to something I was bringing up in the preseason when I had a conversation with Rob Palenka about this. Like, what? why not? Just bring the band back together. Now, you maybe had to negotiate something with Dennis Schroeder, make it work there. Uh, but that group, if not for the injury to Anthony Davis in the first round, was probably at least a finals team. And I'm not someone, I know you're not either, that's going to bet against LeBron James in a finals. Like somehow, some way, oftentimes when he's got enough talent, he finds a way to win a series like that. So this Laker team was constructed the way it is, in part because money. They decided to nickel and dime certain areas. And we're talking about millions of dollars. I get it. It's a big nut to cover, but the Lakers are a very wealthy franchise. And if you don't want to own the team, sell the team to somebody that will spend the kind of money that you need to spend. Like, honestly, do you think someone like a Steve Ballmer, for example, Howard, would have made some of the decisions the Lakers made? Like, I can't see Steve Ballmer who granted is the richest owner in the NBA. I can't see Steve Ballmer not re-signing Alex Caruso, who has been on record saying like, you know, he kind of, he was right, expecting to go back there. So that, that to me, the fact that a lot of these decisions were made on based on money is, is, is problematic to me. The money side of it is problematic. And yes, I think, you know, uh, I've said this many times, whether LeBron was in Miami, whether he was in Cleveland, whether he's in LA, when you have LeBron James, and there yeah. are other players who fall into this category too, you oh, have, you have a, LeBron James and Anthony Davis when you have two yes. at least top 10 level players. You, you, this is your window. Like You've got three years, basically, to win championships, plural, with those two guys. You won one during the bubble season, but you have the opportunity to do it again. Last season was proof that you had the opportunity to do it again. You had a team that would have advanced deep in the playoffs, if not to an injury, to your second best player. So why not? Run it back. Why not spend the necessary money to bring that group back together? You have to be all in at all times when you have LeBron James, and especially this late stage of his career where you don't know which year is going to be the last that he can perform at an MVP kind of level. And the fact is, folks, like I know we're doing the annual it's over for LeBron kind of thing, but like the problem is not LeBron. I mean, it's not to say that he's, you know, that he's he's exactly who he was at age 27 and he's turning 37 now. I'm just saying that he still performs at an MVP kind of level most nights. Right. He he is not the problem. He is not the problem. His injuries and his age are a problem, but if you have a a sound roster around him, they should not have the record that they do. And that's that's the issue. So, yes, money got in the way. The inability to see that when you have LeBron James, you are obligated to be all in at all times got in the way. But even if Alex Caruso walks over money, Chris, this still comes back to the fact that you traded all of yeah. your depth, all of your best complimentary players to get Russell Westbrook, who was a bad fit and a bad investment at the wrong time in his career. That was the wrong decision, period. You would have been better off with the lesser deal for Buddy Heal that would have cost you fewer pieces and who would have been a better fit. Kept your draft better. Pick. Yeah. I mean, there's so many other ways of going about this. They made the wrong 
decision. They made the wrong moves. Money or not, it's the Westbrook thing that is that is top of the list of errors that they've made. Ten years from now, when Frank Vogel is gone from L.A., when Rob Palenka is presumably gone from L.A., I want an oral history on this offseason with the Lakers. Like, <laughs> I want to know exactly what happened, who pushed for what at this point, because the Westbrook deal was bizarre at the time, given, as we pointed out, the alternative, but he healed and remains bizarre right now. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret, like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge or how it seems like you always get those hard to snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Attention all wrestling aficionados. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. This is Freddie Prince Jr., and I am beyond thrilled to announce that our wrestling extravaganza is back. And joining me once again is the one and only Jeff Dye. Get ready as we highlight the most jaw-dropping matches, dissect the fiercest feuds, and uncover the latest twists and turns in the world of pro wrestling. We're dusting off our legendary side quests and unleashing a barrage of brand new segments that will keep you guys on the edge of your seat like our talks on unsanctioned Thursdays. Freddie, you know we gotta give the people what they want. This season, we have an all-star lineup of special guests who are gonna be gracing our podcast, bringing with them their own unique insights, experiences, and all of that in the world of pro wrestling and beyond. Whether you're a seasoned wrestling veteran or a fresh-faced newcomer, we promise an experience like no other. So buckle up, wrestling fans. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty, Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, let's turn to the Utah Jazz, one of my favorite teams in this league. Last season, I picked the Jazz to make it to the finals, I was a believer. They get beat in the second round. Disappointing end to the season. You know, you can blame some of the injuries to Conley. But the way they went out, you know, losing to the Kawhi-less Clippers uh, at the end, that's uh, that's not good. Um, this year, I mean, they are really good offensively, Howard. Like, historically good on some levels offensively. At the same time, they've had difficulty winning close games. Um, a couple of players there underachieving. How, let me ask you, phrase the question this way. Like, how much do you believe in the Jazz as a contender to come out of the Western Conference? Um, I'm going to quote uh, Fox Mulder from uh, the X-Files on this okay. one. He had that poster, I want to believe. <laughs> I think he was talking about extraterrestrial life and UFOs, and I'm saying I want to believe in the Jazz. Um, both elusive, Jazz as contenders and uh, extraterrestrial uh, proof. Um I want to believe because of the following. And I've said this before on this podcast. Like, I want small market teams to win. I'm thrilled that the Bucs won last year. I want to believe that small market teams and non-destination markets in this league have a chance. Because if they don't, and they're just a feeder system for the bigger markets or the glamour markets, that's not a healthy system. And I think too often, that's what it looks like because the stars all eventually move. And... Obviously, the Jazz are doing everything possible to keep Donovan Mitchell. That's a different conversation. But I want to believe that the Jazz can do this. Um, I'm I'm skeptical. Here's what's working in their favor, Chris. The West, after years and years of it just being a, a just a brutal murderer's row at the top of the West, I mean, 
the Lakers were supposed to be the super team. They're clearly not, as we've discussed. And they may never get back into this conversation legitimately. The Clippers are down. They were already down Kawhi. Now they're down Paul George for whatever it's going to be, month, month and a half. Like, the Clippers are done. They're out of this conversation. The Nuggets are, are shelved until further further notice because of their injuries. There's a bunch of teams that could have been really great, like elite, and they're not right now because of circumstances. So what we have is the Suns and the Warriors who have been, you know, neck and neck all season. The Warriors who are still going to get a, 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 a jolt and injection of, of talent and enthusiasm and everything else and a lot of shooting when Clay comes back and James Weissman. And the Suns who are who are just just perfectly built it. And feels by the like. way, by the way, this is not a Warriors conversation, but like Jonathan Kamenga might be really good. Like he might be really, really good. <laughs> he might be really good. Like this is like if you watched what was on Christmas Day. When Kamenga started to play those minutes, like, oh, holy shit. Like, you wrote the story uh, about how the Warriors are kind of threading the needle between the present and the future. Like, Kamenga, I don't want to read too much into limited playing time, but Kamenga looks like he can play. Like, that's... Yes. You, when you see flashes like that, you start... To, and with, like, the physique that he has and the skill set, like, you start to think, like, that guy might be a real player. Yes, and, and great versatility, um, and which is really important in today's NBA as a forward. And, by the way, folks, like... You know, quietly, like the Warriors have a lot of enthusiasm about James Weissman, too. I know, you know, people got a weird impression of him based on his rookie year, but he had come out of college after three games. He had injuries. Like, he's going to be really good. And yes, now we've just run off into a Warriors tangent. Um, Get three lottery picks, three lottery picks that either are not playing or barely playing. Like, that's, yes. I mean, the phrase embarrassment of riches gets overused in basketball, but that's an embarrassment of riches when you consider the present, where you have Draymond in the defensive player of the year chase, Steph. Arguably the MVP right now, and Clay Thompson, one of the best shooters in the NBA in NBA history, coming back at some point in January. Anyway, we're getting off topic. <laughs> the Jazz, yeah. like maybe if, that's if, the question. Like, do the Jazz have what it takes <laughs> to knock off the Warriors? And and the Suns, we respect for the Suns, true, the, the true, defending yeah. Western Conference champs. And by the way, folks, quick plug: go read my story from last week about the Warriors navigating both present Correct. and future. Yes. Um, so here, all right, let's let's lay out the case for the for the Jazz. They are number one, as you mentioned, in, in offensive efficiency by a lot. They have the like they have a better offense than the Warriors, than the Suns, than the Nets, than everybody. 117 points per 100 possessions for the Jazz. They have the number seven defense at 106.9 points uh, per 100 allowed. Number two net rating at just behind the Warriors at plus 10.2 per hundred. There are only uh, four other teams who are top 10 in both offensive and defensive efficiency. They are the Warriors and Suns, as you would expect, Miami and Milwaukee. The Nets are not in that uh, conversation yet as top 10 in both offense and defense. So that's what they have going for them. And Donovan Mitchell's a stud. And Rudy Gobert is a defensive force. And they've been together a while. I like, you know, I think I think cohesion and continuity matter a lot when it comes down to it. So here, here come the butts. Who's creating offense in the clutch in the playoffs? when teams are doing everything possible, selling out to take Mitchell out of the equation. Who picks it up? Who creates offense out of thin air when they need it? Jordan Clarkson? Mike Conley at this age? Joe Ingles? Like, these guys are all good playmakers, but they're not all-star or superstar-level scorer-slash-creator types. They don't have that co-star that you usually need. Now, the Bucks didn't necessarily have it, although Drew and... Uh, Chris Middleton can both do a lot with the ball in their hands. I think those guys are a better second and third option offensively than anybody the Jazz have. But the uh, you know the, the other thing that you need if you're a championship level team, if you don't have superstar level co-stars, if you don't have a superstar Heat team or the Warrior Super Team, you got to at minimum have an MVP, right? A Kevin Durant, a Giannis, a LeBron, a Steph Curry, a Kawhi Leonard. Donovan Mitchell's not there yet. We'll see if he ever if he gets there or not. But he's not there yet. So they don't have a, a, a traditional superstar co-star offensively. And they don't have a traditional like lock MVP candidate year in, year out. So I think they're a little bit limited. I think they I'll put it this way. The Jazz can win the West, Chris, but I think only if the Warriors and Suns falter. If something either health-wise happens to those teams or they just shoot themselves in the foot some way or somehow. Do you think Do you think differently? Like, is there a case for them outright, everybody at full strength, for the Jazz to actually take four of seven from one or both of those teams? 
No, no. And I'll tell you what worries me about the Jazz. Like for the second or third year in a row, when we hear whispers about trades involving Utah, it often involves a defensive-minded wing player. Now, every team in the league needs a defensive-minded wing player. They are at a premium at this point because of how many really good offensive wing players there are in the NBA right now. But this is not the first year we've heard about the Jazz hunting for that type of player. Um, And that is especially important when you think about what, say, Phoenix has to offer with Devin Booker on the perimeter, what Golden State has to offer with Steph, presumably with Clay. Andrew Wiggins is having a terrific shooting year. Like, they need players that can defend those type of players. And Royce O'Neal is a good defensive player, but he can't do it alone. And asking Donovan Mitchell to be the catalyst offensively and be a lockdown defense on the other end, that, that's a lot to ask of any player, much less a young player like Mitchell. So that that worries me. I'm with you on end-of-game situations. Uh, this has been in a lot of power rankings I've seen in the last week. The Jazz are 6-8 and eight in games where it's been decided within five points in the final five minutes. Uh, they've got more home losses this season than they had all of last season. So that's uh, something to keep an eye on as well. Not defending home court anywhere near as well as they did last year. Uh, so I can see them getting easily into the second round. I could even see them, depending on the matchup, getting to a conference finals. But if it's against Phoenix or more specifically Golden State, I don't see it yet. I just, I don't see that perimeter defense being enough. And in the playoffs, even with the Jazz putting up these type of numbers offensively, are they going to be better offensively than Chris Paul, Devin Booker, and the Suns? Are they going to be better offensively than Steph Curry, Klay Thompson, that collection with Golden State? I just, I can't, I can't make a strong case that that would actually happen. Yeah. And that's why I say, is there a scenario in which they make it? Sure. Like it's plausible. They're good enough that if they catch a break or two, they can they could come out of the West, but they're going to have to catch a break or two. And it's kind of like with the Suns last year, right? Like, I'm not asterisking the Suns whatsoever, but did the Suns catch some breaks on the way to the finals? Yeah, it happened. So what? It's still legitimate. And if the Jazz make it, it's legitimate too. But in the Jazz, more so even than the Suns last year, they need to catch breaks because they don't have the same level of elite talent as the guys they're going against. And, you know, unfortunately, Chris, I mean, like, They'll, yeah, they can make the second round no problem, but if it ends up uh, standings being one, two, three as Warriors, Suns, Jazz, and as long as the Jazz are somewhere in that that two, three range, well, actually, even if they're even if they're four, they're they're now seeing a second round where they're taking they're gonna have to take on the Warriors or Suns just to get to the conference finals. So I don't see the Jazz getting to the conference finals even unless again they catch one of these unforeseen breaks. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. <laughs> Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing! I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Attention all wrestling aficionados. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. This is Freddie Prince Jr., and I am beyond thrilled to announce that our wrestling extravaganza is back, and joining me once again is the one and only Jeff Dye. 
Get ready as we highlight the most jaw-dropping matches, dissect the fiercest feuds, and uncover the latest twists and turns in the world of pro wrestling. We're dusting off our legendary side quests and unleashing a barrage of brand new segments that will keep you guys on the edge of your seat like our talks on unsanctioned Thursdays. Freddie, you know we gotta give the people what they want. This season, we have an all-star lineup of special guests who are gonna be gracing our podcast, bringing with them their own unique insights, experiences, and all of that in the world of pro wrestling and beyond. Whether you're a seasoned wrestling veteran or a fresh-faced newcomer, we promise an experience like no other. So buckle up, wrestling fans. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty, Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, let's finish in New York and talk about the Knicks uh, for a minute. Uh, one of the big storylines with the Knicks over the last week has been the revival of Kemba Walker. Um, you know, COVID issues pushed him back into the starting lineup. He came out, played 37 minutes against Boston, 40 minutes against Detroit, 43 minutes against Washington, 40 minutes against Atlanta, had a triple-double against the Hawks. It's been this feel-good story for Kemba Walker, who, by the way, deserves it because one of the best guys in the NBA. And when he was benched, he didn't pout. He didn't throw a scene. He didn't demand a trade. He just did his job as a cheerleader on the sidelines and waited for his opportunity. All that being said, in the two games that Kemba Walker, or four games, I should say, that Kemba Walker's minutes have dramatically increased, uh, the Knicks are 2-2. Two and two. They lost to Boston. They lost to Washington. They beat Detroit because everybody's beating Detroit. And then they won a good game uh, against Trey Young, the Trey Youngless Atlanta Hawks. So, like, I don't look at this as being, you know, the Kemba resurgence as being a sign that the Knicks are headed in a positive direction at this point. And they're another team, Howard. I don't know what to t- say about them. All I can say about them is that if I'm Leon Rose, I am not trading draft capital to get better this year. I'm just not doing it. Like, even if it means another first-round exit, that can't be part of the <coughs> long-term equation with this team, you can't go out. You can't go out and acquire a player unless that player fits into your five-year model. That that you want that guy around fits into the Tom Thibodeau mold, fits into what you're trying to do with on both ends of the floor. This just could just be one of those years where, if there's nothing that improves you long term, you just kind of got to swallow this season, take a 500 record ish into the playoffs, take a beating in the first round, and then regroup in the off season and try to identify players that work pieces that work, trades that matter, trades that will impact your team. That, that's kind of my feeling with the Knicks. I don't I don't look at this Kemba stuff as being any kind of real positive team momentum. Great for Kemba, not really that impactful for the Knicks. How do you feel about it? Yeah, uh, a couple of quick things to just point out as we, as we do this here on, on a Monday. The Knicks are 15 and 18, three games below 500, 7 and 11 at home. So like the, the, the Garden that's isn't wild. even giving them a great boost. What's that? That's wild. Uh, being seven eleven yeah. at home with that, they're team they're actually better so off. Strange. Yeah, they're better on the road. They're eight and seven on the road. Um, and look, they're twelfth in the East. So even the play-in, like if we were in the old version of things, with you know where you have to actually make the top eight, you know, sure they're only you know game and a half out of eighth, but like I don't know that they're jumping over all those teams. Right now, they're not even 10th. They're not even in the play-in. And you mentioned, you know, hey, getting the playoffs, blah, blah, blah. I don't know if they're making the playoffs, Chris. Like, look at the teams ahead of them and tell me who they're demonstrably better than. And I don't mean just on paper right now. I mean, like, who who you can even make an argument that they should be better than uh, by the end of the season. I, I, I don't... Maybe Toronto, but that gets them to 11th. Are they better than Atlanta, who's 10th right now? Boston at 9th, Charlotte at 8th. Washington at seventh, Philly at sixth, Cleveland at fifth. Uh, who are they better than? I'm not convinced they're making the playoffs. Um, you mentioned a five-year plan. Like who fits into the five-year plan? I got a better question. <laughs> What's the five-year plan? <laughs> Do they have one? 
because this is the broader issue, I think, with the Knicks, Chris. And it predates last season when they had this wonderful joyride of a year that nobody could see coming and they finished fourth and it's a feel-good year and it's a breakthrough year and it's a year of, of reestablishing competency and respectability, all of which are important. But I said at the time, and I'll say it again now, I don't know what the long-term plan is or whether, and, and that, while that was a nice uh, uh, injection of enthusiasm and, and belief, it, it's, it's illusory. It's, 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 it's ephemeral. It, it, it's, it's temporary. Like that's all they, there was nothing built into it to sustain it. Unless you believed that Julius Randle was going to be an all NBA second team player for the rest of his career. And unless you believe that RJ Barrett, that was step one toward becoming a perennial all-star, which possible. The Randall thing be. was a more of a stretch. The Randall thing was more of a stretch. And Randall has come back down to earth. And unfortunately, RJ Barrett has regressed. But so let's go back again. What is the, the broader question to me is this. What are the Knicks under Leon Rose trying to accomplish? What's the mission? What's their plan? Because he's going to hit his two-year anniversary as team president in March. And Leon Rose never speaks to the media. Now, that's become a longstanding tradition now among Knicks uh, top basketball executives, but even more so with Leon, who, as you know, even during his days as an agent, Leon wasn't exactly the most media friendly guy in the first place and is not a guy. He's frankly uncomfortable. Like he doesn't do well in that. He's he's not a he's a great one one on one guy, but um, I, I don't think he's even comfortable speaking in, in press conference type of situations. And the couple times he's done it, you can see it. It's and that's fine. But I, I'm just saying we don't know what his plan is. We've never heard it articulated. And even the teams that don't talk much, like we know what Sam Presti's doing. We know what the idea is there. Sam Hinkie never talked. We knew what Sam Hinkie was doing. Daryl Morey talks a lot. So you always got to know what Daryl is doing, right? Like there's a whole spectrum among GMs. So there's no right, one right way to do it. I'm not criticizing Leon Rose for that. But if you're a Knicks fan or if you're anybody in the media trying to figure out, well, what are the Knicks, what should they do from here? Well, it goes back to well, what, what, what were they trying to do in the first place? Do we know? We don't know. He's never articulated a vision. Not even close. Do you want to be a slow build? Do you want to be a team that, 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 uh, uh, advances based on cap room and, and signing some superstars. That's been the old Knicks way, right? They're always swinging for the fences. Do you want to do it through the draft? Do you want to do it through trades? We have no idea. And he did inherit a bad roster from Steve Mills and Scott Perry. Scott Perry, who's of course still part of this administration. He did inherit cap room and a couple of extra first round picks, two from Dallas from the Porzingis deal. Um, his signature moves so far, hiring Tibbs, Great coach, maybe not the right coach at the right time, I would say. I've said this many times because Tibbs squeezes the most out of what you got. You overachieve. And now where are you? You set the bar too high. And also there's always diminishing returns from Tibbs teams because the guys get burned out. Um, signature signings. Kemba and Fournier. Not looking great. Um, okay. No. Especially Fournier. Signature I think, I think Fournier was one that I feel like I whiffed on. I was... I thought the Celtics were crazy not to give him that contract. Uh, Fournier has not been what the Knicks needed. Not, no, he, hasn't, yeah. he hasn't been anywhere near good enough defensively to stay out there and give what he can give offensively. Um, on the signings, he re-signed Julius Randle. That will be part of the signature signings, right? No, it was a, a fine. Not like a, a bad a, contract. Not preempt, a, yeah. Preemptive extension and on a coming off an all-NBA team a year. Like, it's, uh, it's fine. His drafts. 2020, they drafted Obi Toppin, a CAA client, I should note, Leon Rose's old agency, at number eight, over Tyrese Halliburton, who would have been great for them, over Cole Anthony, who's doing pretty well in his sophomore season, over Tyrese Maxey. And I point those guys out in particular, not because just because they were taken later and were really good, but because the Knicks have forever and ever and ever lacked a great starting caliber uh, primary ball handler, point guard, playmaker type. Halliburton, Cole Anthony, Tyrese Maxey would all look pretty good there right now. And I know Toppin's had some some, some flashes and he's fun, but is he, is he going to be better than those guys? They drafted quickly at, at 25. Again, Kentucky ties must point out because of Leon and World Wide West than their Kentucky uh, ties. And quickly is a good player, but is he going to be ever going to be a, a starter or a high-level player? I don't know. Um, they traded down this past season. They got Quentin Grimes. Um, so... Look, it seemed to me that their whole plan, Chris, was get respectable and try to replicate what the Nets and Clippers did, right? 
the Nets became respectable enough and overachieved with a cast of 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 you know fairly ordinary players, not all stars, to the point where it attracted Durant and Kyrie Irving, and the Clippers did the same thing to get Kawhi Leonard and Paul George to want to come there, and the Knicks could do the same. And it seemed like that's what they were trying to do, but I don't know that they had enough sustainability in what they had. And there was also the kind of this, this dream that was floated out there. And I think the Knicks floated this, by the way, that they were going to put themselves in a position so that when Dame Lillard eventually demanded out, he'd want to be a Nick. There was a lot of that talk out there. I would make the argument now, and I would have made it three months ago too. The Knicks don't have the assets to get Damian Lillard. And so, so here they are. Like, I think they're kind of hemmed in. Mitchell Robinson is kind of flatlined. R.J. Barrett has upside, but disappointing right now. Their other young guys are probably going to be good, but not great. Where, again, so it goes back to long-term plan. If you were trying for a slow build, and I'll stop yammering in a second here and let you go, but like, if you were trying for the long-term build, you would not have hired Tibbs. You would have not gone for a, a win-at-all-cost season, win-now, get Derrick Rose, get Taj Gibson. You know, short-term guys, by the way. Again, you asked about a five-year plan. Those are guys are not part of a three- to five-year plan. They're older. So you could have had another bad year last year and gotten a high pick. And maybe you have Evan Mobley, or maybe you have Jalen Green, or maybe you have Cade Cunningham, or maybe you have somebody else. They would have been better off still going the slow version. The Knicks never do patience. And I think to the extent that this feels like the old Knicks still, Chris, and why I don't rule out some move for a Russell Westbrook or something is because the owner is still the owner. And he wants to win now. He always wants to win now. And I think, though we do not know Leon Rose's plan because we have not heard it, it does feel to me like more moves than not under his watch, including the hiring of Tibbs, are about trying to win now and not about a patient slow build or building around youth or using the draft lottery. It's more about getting guys who will just prop you up in the in the in the short term, and that's fine. And last season had its value, but. It, it it was it was not built to be sustained. You know, I was on air in Boston when the Celtics signed Joe Johnson to that contract, and everyone was kind of getting nostalgic. It's like it's been twenty years <laughs> yeah. since Joe Johnson played for the Celtics, but I kind of cringed because that two thousand one draft was largely a disaster for the Celtics. They drafted Joe Johnson at number ten, very good player, obviously, but traded him away in his first season. At number 11, the Celtics drafted Kedrick Brown over the likes of Richard Jefferson, Troy Murphy, players like that. Jason Collins was in the teens there. Zach Randolph in the teams there. Um, At 21, with their third pick in the first round, a pick that was, I'm sad to say, one of the last, if not the last, that Red Auerbach was involved in, they drafted Joe Forte. Players available in the 20s, Samuel Dellenbear, Jamal Tinsley, Tony Parker, Gilbert Arenas. So I bring this up because the Knicks' best approach is don't screw up the draft. Just don't make a deal. Like resist the urge. Put your phone down before the trade deadline and focus on the draft. Make the right picks. Hit on these draft picks and you will get better that way. That is the key to success for any team in the NBA. Hitting on your draft picks. I know it's not easy for every... Gilbert Arenas picked in the second round. There's a, as I'm going through this list, there's a Jeff Trapanier or <laughs> Jamison Brewer or Eric Chenoweth. I mean, like, there's so many guys that don't pan out in the second round. There's so many guys that don't pan out in the first round. But yeah. if I'm the Knicks, keep it locked on the draft. Don't get locked in on free agency. Don't get locked in on short-term fixes. Focus on the long-term. Whatever that plan may be, focus on it ultimately. Uh, Howard, Good stuff, man. Hopefully, this time next week, we're not... Oh, we're probably going to be talking about COVID again, because... This oh, wait, hold on. In the course of just recording this, uh, Monty Williams yeah. and Chauncey Billups went into protocols, as did uh, DeJounte Murray. So, if we just stay on for another five more minutes, uh, you know, ten more players and coaches will probably go in. I can't. We're getting out now, Howard. We'll do it next week. <laughs>
At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff, are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddie? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.